Well, again, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship here today, in person and online. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and uh, love that passage that we just got a chance to hear. Uh, if you're a mom here or a mom figure today, of course, we just want to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're so thankful. I think there's so much in my life that I take for granted from my own mom, and so we love you moms. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, we're in our series on the book of Philippians right now. Uh, we've been taking a few weeks following the resurrection of Jesus Christ where we've been reading this book almost just like opening and reading verse by verse to see what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us from this Philippian prison. And so we're, we're really looking at the question, following the resurrection of Jesus, what does it look like for us to live the Christian life? What does it look like for us to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ following his resurrection from the dead? Uh, so today our passage is chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, which we'll get a chance to kind of walk through. Uh, this passage, as I was uh, reading it for the first time a couple weeks back and just really reflecting on it, I think became very personal to me very quickly. It reminded me of a very, very profound moment in my walk with Jesus. As my uh, summer before my sophomore year of college, uh, I had just felt the, like I was receiving my call to ministry for the first time. And so with that, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of excitement. I felt like, hey, there's something new coming where I'm going to be able to, to shepherd a flock of people and I'm going to be able to point them to Jesus. But as wonderful and as exciting as that is, there's also a heavy weight that comes with that. There's also a responsibility. I knew that, yes, there's a responsibility to shepherd other people, but at the time I recognized that there was parts of my own life that I needed to be shepherded. There was parts of my own life that I knew were separating me from God personally, some sin that I had to deal with before coming in front of a person, a group of people, to shepherd them in their walk with Jesus. And so I remember one particular day, summer before my sophomore year, uh, where I received a moment of temptation just like every other, but instead of just falling into this temptation on this particular day, something was different. I remember, just like it was yesterday, that in this moment, rather than just giving into this temptation as I so often did, is as if there's a hand coming down from heaven just saying, hold on to my hand, just take hold, I'm gonna pull you out of this, I'm gonna get you out, just trust me. And it just sounded wonderful, but at the same time as this hand coming down from heaven, there's also another hand coming up for me, saying, don't listen to him. He's not gonna pull you out. Why would, would you ever wanna get rid of this? I can give you joy and I can give you excitement, I can give you whatever you want in this world right now. Don't listen to him. And of course, for some of us, it's almost like the angel and the demon on our shoulders, and it's almost kind of this humorous thing over the years, but there's nothing humorous about this in the moment. In fact, it was pretty terrifying. Oftentimes, when we think of Satan trying to tempt us, we think of it as, oh, you know, stay away, danger, danger, danger. But the thing about Satan that we so often forget is that he is sneaky, that Satan isn't obviously trying to deceive us, but that he will do whatever he can to try to twist God's word, to twist your heart, to try to say, oh yeah, maybe I don't need to trust in God. Maybe I can do this and everything is gonna be okay. And so in that moment, I remember seeing what was taking place and actually physically lifting up my hands to grab the hand of God and pleading with him to take me out of this moment of temptation. 
And praise be to God, in that moment, he brought me out and I didn't fall into temptation in that same way. Not that day, but not any day following that from that same sin. This is the power of God in a very broken heart. And yet, as wonderful as that is and as wonderful as, as I remember that to be, I recognize that uh, I had to press on in my Christian faith. I needed to, from that moment, forget what was behind me, forget my life before Christ, and to press on for what was to come, the newness of life that Jesus Christ was calling me to. You see, there's so much in my life where I was trying to do this on my own, right? How do you live the Christian life? I was trying to do this on my own. I was trying to follow Jesus, uh, trying to do this in my own strength. I was trying to resist Satan in my own strength and constantly found myself falling short. And that's really what we hear the Apostle Paul getting at in this passage uh, leading up to our passage today. And then the Apostle Paul is saying there's actually no confidence that you and I can have in our flesh. There's not even a little bit of us that can live this Christian life in our own power, but we need a power greater than our own, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see Paul is speaking this directly from experience. We see, uh, we go down to verse four of Philippians chapter three. And this is what he says. He says, it was, uh, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he begins to just list off what he's done. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee, did everything. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Ten commandments, perfection. He had done everything. According to Paul, he saw himself as something special, something to be idolized. But something must have taken place in Paul's life because when we continue to read in verse seven, something completely flipped on its head. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever is gains to me, all these things that I've built up for myself, all this righteousness that I've done by my goodness in this life, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. He went from a place of total reliance on self to a place of total reliance on Christ. A place of life is all about me to I am nothing without Jesus Christ. No matter what I've done, no matter what I've built up for myself, it pales in comparison to just knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, just to know Christ. What happened to Paul? What happened to him? We see this zealous, just like persecutor of the church. It's not every day that we see someone who's a completely radical person on one side of the spectrum of anything in this life completely change 180 degrees overnight. We just don't see that taking place. Something must have happened. But when we look at the motivation for what it was that Paul was changing for, we see it wasn't self-righteous religion, which he had become an expert in, but it was a relationship with a Jewish carpenter who had claims to be the son of God. It was a relationship. He said it was just knowing Christ. What is more, he says in verse eight, I consider everything loss. It's worthless, nothing. Other translations say it's a liability because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. There is no comparison, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we hear a lot of different things taking place here. Paul's saying a lot, but one of the most profound things I want to spend a little time on here is that there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. He doesn't say, I consider everything in this life loss for the surpassing worth of knowing about Jesus Christ my Lord. It goes further than that. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. Jesus Christ. Almost everybody here at least knows something about Jesus Christ here this morning. In fact, almost everybody in the entire world almost knows something about Jesus Christ and yet look at the brokenness of this world. There's something deeper. Paul's saying it's not enough to know about Jesus Christ. The real treasure, the real joy, the real transformation takes place when you know him personally. I think about growing up, I ran cross country and track in high school and a little bit in college. And uh, one of my uh, sporting heroes at the time was a gentleman by the name of Mo Farah. He's a distance runner from Great Britain, uh, 5,000 and 10,000 meter champion in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. Uh, was a favorite to win in 2021 uh, as well, uh, but ended up getting an injury, so wasn't able to uh, race there. Uh, growing up, I could have told you pretty much everything about him. Could have told you his best times, could have told you uh, training methods, his world records, uh, you know, whatever championships that he had, his running form, his style, whatever. But if you would ask me a little bit about him personally, right, what kind of music does he listen to? What kind of food does he enjoy eating? What does he like to do when he's not training for a race? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his kids? I have no idea. I would have not known. You see, there's something happening here where I knew a lot about him, but it became very clear to me in the moment, I do not know him. There's a difference. To me, he was just a celebrity to be idolized. But that's where Jesus is different. Jesus did not come to be a celebrity to be idolized by the world. He came to be the only savior of the world. There's something different. That's why Paul is saying, once you know this Jesus, he's not just going to become a part of your life, but he's going to become everything to you. Or he's going to become nothing to you. See, Paul doesn't give a lot of room for middle ground. You cannot treasure life with Jesus and treasure the things of this world at the same time. You cannot treasure your relationship with Jesus and treasure your sin. The Bible says you're going to love one and hate the other. You can't treasure and value your relationship with Jesus, but also exalt yourself in money or in financial status and success and in material items and comparison and all these other things. You see, the Apostle Paul says once you have Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. He's not about getting the best of both worlds where he can have full relationship with Jesus and everything this world has to offer. But he says everything else this world has to offer pales in comparison. It is worthless for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ because everything in this world, as wonderful as it is, there's gonna be a day where it will all perish. It'll all 
be gone. There's gonna be a day when we come face to face with the Lord where it won't matter how much money that we've built up for ourselves, how much stuff, how much success that we've had in this life. The only thing that's gonna matter is what we did with our relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that it's, it's bad to have money or bad to have things, but these are not the foundation of our life. Jesus Christ is the only firm foundation. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. I wanna look back a little bit at the second part of that last verse in verse nine. It says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's a reminder for us today that our faith, Christianity, is not about being a good person. Oftentimes, maybe you've heard that, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it makes you good. He's saying it's not about being good, it's about being forgiven. Christianity is about being forgiven. This is a righteousness not by the law, but that which comes through faith. In fact, the Ten Commandments were not given to be a law that you and I could follow to perfection, and that's how we're made right with God. The Ten Commandments were actually shown, given to us to show us the heart of God and to show us how we actually fall short of his standard. We've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen things in our life, and it shows that we cannot be made right with God no matter how many good things we do. He says the only thing we can do is to have faith in Jesus Christ who in himself was perfect, who in himself never sinned and yet died a sinner's death on the cross. He says, you wanna be a good person? Try being perfect. That's what happens when you have faith in Jesus. No, you're not perfect, but his perfection, his perfect account is given to you through faith that the Father actually sees you as perfect as if you've never sinned. That's what the power of faith can do. I love how this commentary puts it. It says, faith in the, is the confident, continuous confession of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ for the necessary requirement to enter God's kingdom. And what is that requirement? That requirement is the righteousness of Christ, which God imputes to every believer. Listen to it this way. By faith, you and I have sinned, but we have life as if we hadn't. Because Jesus Christ never sinned, but died as if he had. By faith, you and I sinned, but live as if we hadn't, because Jesus Christ never sinned. He was without sin, but he died as if he hadn't. He gave us eternity at the expense of his own life. This is the goodness of our God. That's why Paul is so adamant about this. He says, I just want to know Christ. I don't want to know about him. It goes deeper. I want to know him. He has to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying the closer he gets to Jesus, the more he gets to know Jesus, the more he becomes like Jesus. I used to hear from my mom and dad growing up, uh, you become like the people you hang out with, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, and so if you hang out with a bunch of liars, who are you gonna become? A liar. Uh, if you hang out with a bunch of uh, thieves, uh, people who steal, what are you gonna become? A thief, right? Uh, what happens if you become and spend time with Jesus? You become like Jesus. You start to be conformed 
into his image. You get to know him more and, and get to know the power of his resurrection. Paul's saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the question this poses for me is, who doesn't? Who wouldn't want to know the power of the resurrection? Who wouldn't want to know the only hope to which any of us have in this life? Who wouldn't want to be in a kingdom where there is no more tears or crying or hurt or death or pain with our Lord and Savior for all eternity ever again? But what Paul is saying here is he's saying, if you want to know the power of his resurrection, first you have to know the power of his death. If you want to be raised to life, you first got to come and you got to die. If you want to know the power of Easter Sunday, you first got to understand the power of Good Friday. What is he saying? He's not saying a physical death. Yes, there's a day where all of us, unless Jesus Christ comes back first, we will all physically die and have to undergo death. It is inevitable. But what he's talking about is not a physical death, but a spiritual death. Death. He said it this way, the good news of the gospel is that the old is gone and the new has come. That if you're in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. It's not that the old is kind of gone and you can kind of go back and kind of do some of the things you used to do and come back to Jesus Christ and then kind of put another foot back out and do your own thing. He's saying, no, that old self is dead. The old Paul is dead. The Paul who used to murder Christians is no longer. That self is dead dead. On Paul's tombstone, it did not say died a thief, hated by all. It said died, redeemed, was raised to life, and was deeply loved by his Father in heaven. See, the old Paul, he's no longer the new Paul had come. I heard it said this way, that Paul went from chasing after Christians to chasing after Christ. Isn't that profound? That he went from chasing after Christians to put them to death to now his heart is completely transformed to chasing after Jesus for whom he had persecuted. But here's the thing, that story of Paul is not not just Paul's story. That's any of our story who have come to faith in Jesus. Any of our story who are redeemed. That story I shared at the beginning where I'm lost in my sin, that's no longer my story, that Ben, that Ben is dead. That Ben who is held in bondage, that Ben no longer exists. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. That does not define me anymore. I'm no longer defined by being condemned. I am forgiven and I have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed for me on my behalf. That is the hope that any of us have, just to know Jesus Christ and his power to experience the power of the resurrection. You see? But that's where he he begins to take a step back. Paul says, yes, to Noah's resurrection, but let's hold off a second. He gets to verse 12. He said, not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal. It hasn't happened yet, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. How beautiful is that? You see how personal that this is. Yes, Jesus Christ has taken hold of the world, but not just that. He says, I take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. I gotta ask you this morning, has Christ Jesus taken hold of you? Does he have you? Does he have all of you? Or does he just have part of you, one foot in and one foot out? Paul acknowledged, he says, yes, Christ has all of me, but even though he has all of me, I still acknowledge I'm not there yet. 
I haven't made it spiritually. I'm still broken. I'm still a sinner. I still have sin in my life. But that's why I press on for what is to come. In verse 13, he just says, Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But then he gives the application. He says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize that which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, growing up, I again ran cross country in Pearl, Minnesota, and uh, we, I was part of uh, multiple state and national championships in our cross country team. Uh, my coach uh, was a wonderful guy. He was my cross country coach, my calculus teacher, and my youth leader. I saw the man 24 uh, 7 as one of the most influential people in my entire life. And he knew how to get us to a championship. But what was more important to him than an actual championship was the journey that took place to get there. He's like, yes, the state championship is wonderful, but we don't even know where our medals are anymore. I think his kids were playing, dropped him in a toilet or something. He didn't care. It's like, who cares about the actual medal 30, 40 years later? What he remembers is everything that took place, the experiences, the joy, the, the journey that it took to get to that place. And there's actually a documentary that was made of our team my junior year. I want to show us a little clip from that documentary. Today. And that's not the point. Today's not going to run a perfect strategic crate. We're going to try some things. You're going to go mix it up. But here's the deal. But today, the effort is here. The intensity is here. When you go into that woods that second time, it's time to listen to your heart, not your legs. It's time to rip up the excuses and say, my intensity is here no matter what. If you race in the moment, you're not worried about behind you, you're not worried about in front of you. You're focused in the moment and you're racing. You're not looking for the finish line. You're looking to pass more people. He's talking about a race. In a race, you're not looking for what's behind you. You're not even looking for what's ahead of you. You're focused in the moment and you're racing. You're not looking for the finish line. You're looking to pass more people. In that same way, when we're running this race that we are each in right now, he says, don't look back. Forget about what's looking back. If you're running a race and you constantly look back, what's going to happen? You're going to what? Slow down. He says, every time that you, slow, that you look back and you're reminding yourself of your life before Christ, you're slowing yourself down. Do I forget about my life before Jesus? Absolutely not. But when I look back at what life looked like before Jesus, I'm not constantly thinking, oh, I should have done this. I, I wish I would have done this. Man, this would have been better. It's just like remembering that's no longer my story. The old Ben is dead. I'm a new creation. I don't need to get caught up in everything that was in my past. I can move forward hearing those words that I am a new creation. If you are in Christ today, the old is gone. The new has come. So yes, not getting caught in what's behind, but again, he says, don't get so caught up in what's to come that you forget that the race is not finished yet. If you're here today, you are still in the race. You're still running. Maybe you've heard those words to not become so heavenly minded. Yes, press on for eternity, but not become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. He says, yes, fight for the finish, but remember you're still in the race. If you are weary today and heavy burden, press on for what is to come. If you find yourself without hope and you're in darkness, he says, press on towards the treasure that is to come. If you've been trusting in yourself, neglecting the power of God in your life, he says, press on trusting in Christ. 
If you're a tired mom here this morning, press on, press on for what is to come. If the circumstances of this life you feel have taken over and you feel like you're drowning, press on towards the goal that is leading you heavenward. If all of life seems to be going well, even if life is not going well, regardless of where we're at today, he says, press on. The one thing Paul says to do is become like Jesus. Once you get to know him personally, everything changes. You forget what is behind. You can move forward and you strain for what is ahead. You remember eternity that is to come. And you can be focused in the moment, pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is how we know the power of the resurrection in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you for your word, Lord, that no matter what it is we're going through in this life, if we're going through hardship at work, if we're going through a divorce, if we're going through anxiety, depression, if we're going through loneliness, if we're going through hardship or pain or sin, if life is all well, Lord, regardless, I pray for your strength by the power of the Holy Spirit for us to press on towards the goal which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. May that be what consumes our mind, not just knowing about our God, knowing about Jesus Christ or about religion, but knowing Jesus Christ personally and so attaining to the power of the resurrection. We love you so much today, Father. We thank you for that promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.